once you are gathering stories and hearing them, it's actually fantastic team building. So it's really good for generating energy amongst your team. You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates, and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this e-commerce marketing-focused podcast. If you're not familiar with us, well, each month we focus on a different marketing method, like email or SEO or Facebook ads, and each week I interview a different expert to explore the latest advice on making it work for you. Before we get into today's episode, just want to do a big thank you to the brilliant Janice Thomas from Look Fabulous Forever for the introduction to today's guest. Thank you, Janice. This month, we are all about storytelling, so not a specific marketing method in particular, but more a skill which increasingly is going to operate across the whole of your marketing, dare we say, at the whole of your business. In our first episode, we got into how storytelling should be used at the different layers of the funnel in your marketing acquisition piece. So it's very much talking customer acquisition. In this episode, we're talking about acquisition and retention because we're talking about a totally different angle, how storytelling needs to be built into the culture and the brand of your business. So as it's reflected across every single customer interaction, across that whole customer experience piece. So we're not in that scenario where they get a great series of ads on Facebook, but then nothing stacks up and supports it when they get to the website or even worse, when they reach customer service. So we're going to be talking about that with today's guest, who is very much an expert at doing all of this. He will also be sharing some brilliant advice around copywriting and tone of voice and all those kind of areas. And if you listen right to the end and hear his uh, insider tips, he'll be getting into a really clever method you can use if you're struggling right now to find any stories, how you can use the identification of stories with your team as a team building exercise, as well as a marketing accelerator. Super clever stuff coming up from our guest at the end. So make sure you listen right to the very end of the episode. And I'll also be sharing some quick tips and free ways you can help improve things too at the end. So stay tuned to the end, everybody. See revenue growth like never before with e-commerce specialist Revenue Growth Agency. Revenue Growth Agency combines powerful storytelling with robust data-driven testing and learning to create impressive full-funnel digital marketing strategies, always focusing on new customer acquisition to fuel sustainable revenue growth over time. Revenue Growth Agency work as part of your own team to get under the skin of your business and your audience. If your brand has hit a revenue ceiling, Revenue Growth Agency has the key to unlock your true growth potential. Get started with a free 30-minute storytelling and strategy consultation. Quote KEEP, K-E-E-P, to get your session with Revenue Growth Agency's founder, Andy Donaldson, for free. Book via keepopt.com forward slash Revenue Growth Agency now. In this episode, I'm chatting with storytelling expert Ben Afia. Ben is a customer communications expert for the FTSE 100, using culture, branding, and of course, story to improve customer experience whilst also lowering costs. With clients across many verticals, including several in the retail and e-commerce space like Twinings, Many Pets, Morrison, Ron Seal, and Boots. Hello, Ben. Hi, Chloe. Absolute pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. I am so fascinated to learn more about what you do and how it can benefit our listeners. This is going to be a a super interesting episode, I can already tell. But before we get into to what you're doing now, how did you end up in this world of storytelling and culture? 
I got a job at Boots about 22, 23 years ago, which is maybe starting to reveal my age. And prior to that, I had been in general marketing roles. I did the CIM, postgraduate diploma. But my job at Boots was to focus on language and copywriting in particular. So I had a lovely job. It was to go out and find the best writers in the land and bring them back to work for Boots, agencies (laughs) and freelancers. I know, absolute gift. So I got to work with lots of agencies, some of the bigger London agencies, mother, PR agencies, agencies of all kinds, and also freelance writers and some of the best in the land. And that really immersed me in language and how you manage language. And critically, part of it was about the internal process. So it was how do you help marketers initially, but ultimately the whole of Boots, to develop good briefs so that they get the right results from the stories they're asking from their writers. And so I got to work across everything throughout Boots, everything from the annual report down to the shelf talkers and tickets that you get in store and on pack stuff, the Boots gift, the Christmas gift guide, all sorts of, I mean, you wouldn't believe there's a team working on Christmas all year round. Well, your audience probably would believe that, but yeah. Yeah, I would believe that. But yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. But the whole remit from shelf tags right the way through to the annual report, that's mad. Anything that a customer would see in writing. But of course, as a CIM trained marketer yourself, you see the whole organisation as responsible for marketing. So marketing is also about culture. So as we got into language for customers, we also realized that we needed to influence the culture around Boots. So it actually became an internal project as much as an external project, because when you influence in internally, you're changing what gets seen externally. So uh, one of the things I totally get why you need to change work on the culture as well in that internal piece, because I think trying to brief written creative when it's not describe this product can be incredibly hard and I mean I've I've been playing around with it I suppose for 20 odd years myself and it is so hard not to kind of write it when you're trying to brief it and to the nuance of briefing copy is really really critical so I can imagine it's a bit of a when you're trying to re-educate the whole of the marketing team and and beyond when it gets to the likes of the, the board report that is a real big kind of head shift isn't it it is and i guess this will be no surprise to most of your audience i mean how many of you have had training in how to brief and how to manage agencies anyone i was on the graduate scheme at barclays way back in the day in the marketing function And we didn't get training on it then. We got training in how to give presentations and training in managing each other and all sorts of different training courses, but never training on how to brief agencies. And actually, at that point, as a marketer in Barclays, we weren't supposed to talk to the agencies. We had to brief the internal agency team who then were allowed to talk to the agencies. So it's strange, isn't it? We just kind of dive in and this is just not a skill set we ever consider we need to learn. It's not. And yet it's so important, isn't it? Because if you think of the money that we spend on creative, the money we spend with agencies, and we, we entrust them with our products, with our services, and bringing them to life, telling the story in a way that's going to engage and capture customers' attention. So to give them a fighting chance, and it, it, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening has done copywriting. Maybe you're doing copywriting day in, day out as a mark. You know, every, every marketer's job to some extent is copywriting generally, unless you have a huge budget and lots of agencies to do all of that for you, which not many of us do. So we've all faced that cold, hard page. How does a freelance or an agency copywriter start without a really good brief? So 
it's our job as clients to set people up with really clear outcomes, objectives, values, behaviors, personality traits, and the backstory that contributes to a range of products or an individual project that you're product that you're writing around. So the better preparation we give them, the better the result we're going to get back. And that's hard enough when it comes to doing I guess, standard marketing copy. But when we're trying to bring in more of this emotion, more of these uh, nuances of the communication that we've got to do these days because the customer wants it and because the competition levels are so high and we've got to stand out, it takes it to another level of complexity. And I think it never occurred to me that those who can write the best briefs are going to get the best results. But clearly that's a huge, huge thing at the moment. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And if you want a depth of story that gives a strong sense of your brand to your customers, because if you've got comparable products, if you've got products in a, in a sector that's very competitive. So let, let me take some examples that I worked on at Boots. So I worked on number seven on the rebrand of number seven. I worked on a rebrand of 17. So I knew lots about cosmetics at that time. I've lost all that knowledge now, sadly, but my partner loved the fact that I understood makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what does it mean to be 17? And what does it mean to be seven in number seven in the market? And it goes back to story. So Underlying those brands, you have the Boots master brand, and there is a story behind Boots. Now, weirdly, 20 plus years ago, Boots didn't use the story of Jesse Boots. That was seen as being a bit old fashioned. But of course, fast forward 20 odd years, and authentic origin stories are actually really popular now. So the story of Jesse Boots and his place in Nottingham and what he did for the Nottingham people. And how I think it was 170 years ago, he started a herbalist store trying to provide some sort of health care for the poor who couldn't afford the physicians of the day who were extremely expensive and weren't obviously working necessarily to the standards of medical science that we've achieved today. So he was providing herbal remedies and that sort of thing. And that's the start of Boots. His story is rich with kind of Victorian entrepreneurialism and it had kind of been forgotten but actually, when we think about great British brands like Boots, the, the, those that we grew up with in this, certainly in the UK, why do we trust those brands? It's because they have this heritage. They've been around all of our lives. Our parents shop there. Our grandparents shop there. So there is a deep sense of story all the way back through, through to those origins. So how do you then fast forward and reflect that in a rebrand of, of, a, of a range like number seven or 17? So it goes back to the master brand values. It goes to how those values express themselves on the individual product ranges. And then, well, the generally at that time, I was looking for some of the more creative copywriters who would, I suppose, have a touch of warmth for makeup in particular, maybe natural touches of humor without trying too hard because Boots is not a laugh out loud sort of <laughs> brand. But you want some levity, some lightness in places. But you want warmth and that human connection that Boots has always stood for to come through. And that's where working with those copywriters kind of helps to bring that to the fore. So even if you become the best ever copy briefing marketer in the world, there's still a level of picking the right person who has that, I guess, that DNA, which enables them to adapt themselves well to your brief rather than another. So it's not it's not purely in the brief that any copywriter can do anything. It's also worth trying to find the right copywriter for your brand and your project. Definitely. And I very quickly found that not all writers can write all things. And I'm sure your audience will appreciate this. You know, somebody who you could put in front of the board and could work on the annual report is probably not a beauty writer. So in some of the agencies that we worked with, we had some wonderful writers who just had a sense for what we were trying to do in beauty. 
But we also, I can also remember doing a project with Boots range of pharmacy medicines, and that's a, quite a different brief as well because the medicine side is trying to express, uh, you know, the integrity side of the brand. So you've got beauty, which wants more warmth and engagement and excitement because that's what the audience are looking for. And you've got pharmacy that needs to be a bit more, have, I suppose, a bit more gravitas to it. So within any one brand, you will have different sides of that personality or different values that you want to express. For me, it's easier to find the right writer for that brand than it is to train a writer to be different. You know, at Boots, we had the luxury of having a range of of writers and agencies to choose between. And because we had such a wide range of stuff and we had quite a lot of budget in individual product teams, I could play with my agencies and my freelancers and I could pick and choose different writers. And sometimes within an agency, I would say, look, that writer is just not not the right. Her voice is not quite right or his voice is not quite hitting this one. They might be better on that project, but I don't want them on this. <laughs> Can we find somebody else? And, and, and then it's, I suppose, about getting into the tone of voice. So to help the account director to then choose the right writer. Got you. So we're talking here quite in the marketing space. And I know an awful lot of what you do now is not so much in that marketing space, but is still about getting this consistency, this customer experience across to people. So if we peel back the layers to go kind of beyond the obvious marketing stuff, how do we make sure this is something um, we were talking about this before we hit record, where so many brands get it wrong? You know, they have a great video or they've got a great piece of email or a great homepage, but then you get to, in some cases, the product or you get to the customer services or you go through the physical door of their actual store and suddenly the actual interactions you have do not support what you've been led to believe is going to be happening. So, how do we get it through, I guess, the less sexy sides of the business? It's a really good question. And I suppose I can illustrate with a story. So I've worked with a few mobile networks over the years. And one of the biggest global mobile network, I won't mention their name, who were fabulous clients, actually, and I've worked with them on and off for 15 years or so, actually, on a huge range of products. So they had a new brand strategy from one of the big, snazzy, very expensive London advertising agencies. And as is typical, when you hire a big agency or you're a larger corporate, you will spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on customer insight because you need to understand your market, of course, what's going on out there, what are the nuances, and and how do you develop a strategy that speaks to the needs that are in the market? I mean, that's classic marketing, isn't it? In this situation, the agency had come up with a brand strategy and a new strap line And I was actually working, this was kind of quite late in my work with this company, and I was over in India working with their web chat teams. So this company had, at the time, a 1,000 people working on web, doing web chat just for UK customers. Wow. 1,000 just on web chat. Can you imagine? Teeny tiny bits of text, but that need to be, and very, when it comes to mobile networks, hugely complicated pieces of text too. Absolutely. And, And they really matter. And it really matters. Now, these Indian teams, and they were fantastic. They're mostly graduate, they're educated, they're trained, and really up for it teams. But they were struggling to understand the nuances of the the vagaries of us Brits and the way that we don't really quite complain. So we'll tend to say, well, that's annoying. And what we're really saying is we're bloody fuming. (laughs) (laughs) And I want you to fix it, or I want you to give me my money back. Mm -hmm. But we don't express in that way in Britain very comfortably always maybe we're getting better at it but i was working on helping them to understand to have greater empathy for british customers and it just happened that the new strapline had been launched and i had a team of i had a group of 40 and i was running a workshop 
kicking off this work and I said, what do you think of your new strapline? What do you think of the new strategy? And I had 40 completely blank faces. And this was leaders, managers, customer service agents, trainers, had a broad spread of people. Nobody had bothered to brief them on the new strategy. (gasps) No way. So the first people who are going to be picking up the questions when customers start start getting in touch and you haven't bothered to even tell them that this is what the brand stands for. I just said that that is in the league of launching a new brand and not buying the URL or <laughs> if you're putting a TV ad live with a new strap line and you haven't bought the keyword on Google. It's it's epic fail. It is. And in big companies, it's normal. Pretty much every organization I've worked with over the years has this problem and it's just a feature of size when organizations get large you know the right hand is not necessarily talking as as efficiently as it could to be to the left because we spend let's face it you know in our day-to-day jobs we are firefighting we've got constant issues to sort out we've got our agenda we started the morning at nine knowing what we were going to achieve and by 11 that's out the window because something you know because the site's gone down or a page has gone down or we can't talk to customer service or the outsource this or this is the state of business nowadays so it's normal so i'm going to let them off for that and it's and it's been the same in that it's the same in every business but that is the essential problem that i set out to solve and that is why i try to make businesses more human and hence my book the human business which i'm hoping will be out in march i've got a speech at the end of april based on the book so the book better be out in march <laughs> <laughs> i've been there nerve-wracking yeah i wish you all the best <laughs> Yeah, so I've got to get the book out, I've got to market the book, and I've got to write the new speech, but it's okay. I should say, for everyone listening, uh, you're hearing this in February, we're recording this in the 17th of January, so this is not quite a seat of the pants as you might be thinking as you're listening to this. Ben is better prepared than you're thinking. <laughs> I may not be, but let's, yeah, let's let's check in again uh, when the podcast come out, comes out. And the whole premise of the book is, how do you make your business more human, and how do you connect up your brand and your culture in order to deliver the customer experience that you want. So this is my essential argument that you've kind of alluded to. The brand as it expresses itself to customers. So, well, let's start. What is brand? So brand is the space that you take in your customers' minds. It's what people think about you, say about you when you're not in the room. So if you want your customers to refer you to their friends and to talk about you, to come back and buy more from you, tell other people, your brand is what makes that happen it's it's their memory of you and what is brand made up of so it's made up of really every interaction every moment of contact along their journey which is a zigzag not a sequential thing i'll just drop in uh, hankins hexagon james hankins came up with the hankins hexagon i think you can find it in marketing week from a two or three years ago and the way he talks about customer journey is being more like a hexagon where any point, any node on that hexagon, you could be pass a customer could be passing from any point. So they may start researching and reading and asking around about, about something. So let's say I'm in the market for a new mobile phone. I'm at the pub and I ask a mate's got a new phone, one of those flip phones. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. What's that? And that gets you starting thinking. And then you might go home and you start reading some articles and you might go and some, get some YouTubes. And then you might go in a store and you might actually start playing with them. Now, in the traditional customer journey, which would be sequential, the brand might be thinking, oh, they're about to buy because they've already come to store. So they're close. But actually, they're not because 
I'm not ready to make a commitment. I'm just having a quick look and I'm going to go to another store and then I'm going to go back into research mode and then I'm going to read some reviews and then I'm going to ask my mates again the next week and I'm at the pub. So if you think of the customer journey as, as quite haphazard and we ping pong in a way between these kind of moments of contact, any of those moments is an opportunity for us as a brand to both build our presence in their mind or to destroy it. And the hexagon, I would argue, continues after you've purchased and you're in the kind of customer service cycle. So you've got kind of the above the line, you've got the advertising, you've got the marketing, you've got store experience, you've got online experience, web pages, the purchase experience, the purchase page, all of those little moments where you've got tiny things that give clues as to what you're like as a brand. Actually, I can give you a good example in a minute of one that doesn't, doesn't go so well. Then somebody buys something and then you've got the post-purchase, what's the word, dissonance, where you go, hmm, did I buy the right thing? Do I really want this? Do I really need it? Or actually, way I'm really happy, let, you know, but I need some support and all of the conversations that can happen then. So if we think about the customer journey as a really complex thing with lots of moments where we can lose people, all of those moments are possibilities to build the brand. And there's there's a company, so I've just ordered some prescription sunglasses from Arnett, who I only come across recently. Now, I need varifocals now, and I need them for driving and for when I'm traveling. Some would say don't buy varifocals online because they can't measure your eyes properly and all that sort of thing, but I'm going to take a chance. And it's a chance because actually they had a sale on and they are the cheapest varifocal sunglasses I could find. They're still expensive, but it was a decent price. I thought, sorry, I can, I can send it back if I have to. But Looking at the website, I couldn't find what brand of lens they use or any information on the kind of lens. So as a researcher, I'm interested in the kind of lens. I'm, you know, I've, I've bought enough glasses over the years to know that I've bought Zeiss before and they've been fantastic. And I've bought cheap lenses and they haven't been fantastic. So I know enough to want a little bit of information, whether they're Essilor or whatever. Are they, I mean, they're not going to be Zeiss at the money that I paid. So I accept that. But they've missed something out. Now, it might be deliberate, but there were quite a few clues on the website. And I tried, I thought, well, I'm going to test them out. So I sent a question and I, I, I rang and I said, what lenses do you use? And they weren't able to answer. And they sent me an email and said, reply to the email and we'll tell you. I emailed them and the email bounced a day later. So their GB customer service email bounced. So I can't find information about the lenses on the website. The email bounces I'm not feeling very confident here, am I? Because those tiny moments are telling me that actually they've not really thought this through. So I actually bought them anyway because they were cheap. I know that I might be in for some trouble. I know that I can send them back. However, they've not quite thought through all of those little moments where they could have built their perception and built their confidence with me for me to go, actually, I'm going to buy from you and I'm probably going to recommend you to my friends because it was a good price and you gave me great service as well. So where do those moments come from? They're driven by the whole of the organization. What do I mean by that? So if we think about that customer journey, every team, depending on the size of the business, but if you're a larger business like Boots, there are tens of teams responsible. One of my clients in the last few years, Many Pets Insurance, so they are purely online. They've spent a lot of time optimizing their online journey. So the quote journey is actually fantastic. You can get a quote really quickly. The language is beautiful. They are very reassuring. You get a sense that you're going to be looked after. They've really nailed that journey and they thought about treating humans as humans because let's face it, when you're insuring your pet, it's a member of your family that you're caring for. So they know that this matters. 
And I remember looking at the customer journey there and you have a whole range of teams contributing to the messages that customers will pick up. So you've not got just got marketing where you've got control over those messages. You've got the people talking on the phone. So you've got customer service, you have legal, you've got compliance, regulatory people. You've got a whole sequence of people who are contributing to that experience. And how do you reach all of those people? Well, it's about the culture. It's about the systems and the processes and the culture that feeds into those systems and processes. And the thing that we might not be aware of as marketers is our customers are picking up clues as to what that culture stands for and how it's going to look after me as a customer all the way through that journey. Loving those examples, Ben. So much more powerful than you must focus on these three or four things. So brilliant. It's been great picking your brains about how storytelling functions across the whole of that customer journey. Listeners, make sure you stay tuned right to the end so you don't miss out on Ben's insider tips and my suggestions for more free resources to help you improve things even further in your business. See revenue growth like never before with e-commerce specialist Revenue Growth Agency. Revenue Growth Agency combines powerful storytelling with robust data-driven testing and learning to create impressive full-funnel digital marketing strategies, always focusing on new customer acquisition to fuel sustainable revenue growth over time. Revenue Growth Agency work as part of your own team to get under the skin of your business and your audience. If your brand has hit a revenue ceiling, Revenue Growth Agency has the key to unlock your true growth potential. Get started with a free 30-minute storytelling and strategy consultation. Quote KEEP, K-E-E-P, to get your session with Revenue Growth Agency's founder, Andy Donaldson, for free. Book via keepopt.com forward slash Revenue Growth Agency now. Okay, Ben, so far we've gone deep into the impact of storytelling across the full customer journey. Now you get to wow us with your insider knowledge about the whole of customer experience, culture, brand, storytelling, all your expertise. So for the following questions, your answer can be anything to do with any of that, which of course does include everything we've already been talking about. Ben, are you ready for these? I'm ready. Okay, let's start with newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their first step, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? So I've talked about connecting brand and culture in order to deliver an experience that customers are going to love. How do we do that? Well, for me, it's about leaning into the stories within the business. So I mentioned Boots, but most of us listening may not have founder stories as rich and deep as that. But what you do have is a range of people across the business who are probably very committed to the business and believe in what you're delivering, whether it's a product or a service. So I use an approach called appreciative inquiry. And this is an incredibly powerful way of hearing stories from throughout the business. And you can use appreciative inquiry to gather stories, to get a sense of the culture, and that can feed directly into stories in your website, in your emails, in wherever you are talking about your brand. But also they help you to get a better understanding of your brand so that you can express it more consistently. Appreciative inquiry starts by getting people telling stories of times that they've been at their best at work. 
And when we get people telling t- stories of times they've been at their best, they re-experience some of the endorphins that they felt at the time. So it's brilliant for workshopping because you can have a group of, you can have a workshop of people where people are telling each other these stories in pairs. You then get together on little tables of six or eight people. Each partner tells their, summarizes their partner's story to that group. And then you get flip charts and get people looking at the themes. So what are the common themes coming out of those stories? What I have never heard is people saying, I did it all on my own. I achieved that great success by doing it completely on my own. What I always hear is stories of times when people have collaborated, they've had each other's backs, they've had empathy for each other, for customers, and they've achieved as a result of that pulling together. So you get the stories that as a brand you would want to express because I suppose in e-commerce we are we are selling product, maybe we're selling service, you know, it can be quite transactional. But what customers want to have the sense of is that there's a team of people looking after that process and looking after you when there's a problem. And there are always problems, but problems are a gift. Problems actually are an opportunity for us to to deliver. So appreciative inquiry is the way I'd go about that. I love that idea of getting the stories from your people. I think even in the smallest business, that could be hugely powerful. So loving that. Thank you. Now, once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimising. So what's your favourite way to improve performance? Once you are gathering stories and hearing them, it's actually fantastic team building. So it's really good for generating energy amongst your team. And you can do it just with your marketing. You can bring customer service in, you can bring sales in, you can work across the business, HR, you know, everybody you can get involved So the deeper you take it, so for me, the optimizing would be about taking that deeper and using those stories, not just in your marketing, but as a way of developing the story of the culture of the organization as well, because it's the culture that feeds the service. So use appreciative inquiry to capture those stories, and then you can use that to feed back into an iterative process. And the best example I can think of this, actually, when I first heard of appreciative inquiry, it was about 12 years ago, I was working with AirBP, which is the aviation fuel division of BP. And because they're based at, well, they, they were based in, in London and South Africa, but mainly in airports across the world. So this was a thousand people or so at the time. How did they stay connected? They used appreciative inquiry to then bring these stories back to London and to then feed them back out to the regions to develop this wider narrative that was across the business and gave people a sense of belonging. And that was a business that really looked after its people and had a sense of family about it. So it was a great culture, but they used appreciative inquiry to develop it. And that culture reflected it in itself in the service that they gave to customers. I love that. So wins all round, basically. So if someone listening wants to learn more, is there a cheap or free resource you'd recommend? Absolutely. So have a look at my website, benafia.com. So that's B-E-N-A-F-I-A.com. And if you go forward slash book, you'll find information about my forthcoming book. And the first article at the top of the page is how does appreciative inquiry work? That's in the articles section. So I've got a bit of a lowdown on how appreciative inquiry works there. If you wanted to go even deeper, you could download the sample chapter for the book where I introduce the idea of appreciative inquiry. And you could also buy the book, which will take you even further. And I talk about how to run those workshops, how to run those interviews in the book. Got you. And what's the name of the book? The Human Business, How to Love Your Customers So They Love You Back. Great title, by the way. Uh, We said it's probably going to be published in March, but they can 
get signed up to your website so they'll be the first to hear once it's available? Absolutely. Sign up and get the, the sample chapter, which gives you an outline of the book, and that'll get you on the mailing list, which you can unsubscribe safely at any time, but I'll send news of the book as soon as it's launched. Brilliant, and good luck with the launch. Thank you very much. Finally, crystal ball time. What's coming up in the next six to 12 months we should be getting ready for? What I'm hearing from all of my clients, and, and it's a culture thing rather than a marketing thing, perhaps, but... I interviewed 25 leaders for my book and a common theme was people are really struggling with how to, how to engage the younger generations coming in who are looking for a stronger sense of values, a stronger sense of purpose and more authenticity in the businesses that they join. Now, this may be less of a problem for smaller businesses. It's a big problem for the corporates because size you know, they are more corporate and people feel more disenfranchised and less connected. The world of work is is changing. The world of culture is changing. We need to pay much more attention to how we get the best out of people. How do we get the best, best out of people joining us? And it's really about, it's really about the culture. But if we get the culture right, we can get the customers, we can get the marketing right, and we can get the customer service right. So for me, it's a virtuous circle. We sell more stuff if we build a strong culture we're getting told this and it's being proven from so many angles at the moment i think that's an absolutely brilliant crystal ball piece of advice so um so thank you very much for that one ben we are very nearly at the end of the show now so please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business well i just mentioned the website so benafia.com that gives you the lowdown on all my stuff i'm fairly active on linkedin i post fairly frequently and i when people reply to my posts i always comment so Please come and comment on some of my posts. You can, if you search Ben Afia, so Afia again is A-F-I-A, you should find me fairly easy on LinkedIn. If you've heard the podcast and found it interesting, connect with me on LinkedIn, said you heard of me here and let's get into conversation. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ben. Um, it's been brilliant chatting with you and giving us such a different angle on storytelling. I've really appreciated it. So thanks for being here. You're most welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. So loads there from Ben. I mean, that whole section around the importance of finding the right copywriters, creating the right briefs, understanding those layers of story that come in across the business, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Then we were talking about how, in fact, to be honest, throughout we've been talking about how you can tell the best story in the world at the front end, but if you don't deliver that throughout, a bit like in um, last week's episode, we were talking with Andy about how to imp- put it throughout your marketing funnel, but it's not just your marketing. It then needs to hit the website, then needs to hit the customer service, it needs to hit the teams, it needs to hit the products, the product copy. So you've got to get it consistent throughout everything you do. Otherwise, amongst those hexagon of connections, you drop the ball, they get the wrong impression, they're not going to come back and buy, they're not going to become loyal customers because there's that disjointed piece, which means they're not getting that great experience. They're not understanding and embracing your story. Therefore, they're not going to be going through. And that piece he was talking about in the insider tips around appreciative inquiry was fascinating too. I think that would be such a good team building exercise and a great way of creating different layers of story and different angles on the story you can bring into everything we're talking about this month. So loads of stuff to unpick there. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can get the links to all those things we discussed, the full transcript, important notes and more at keepoptimizing.com or use one of our special direct episode short links. That's keepopt.com forward slash episode number. Chuck that in the URL bar and you'll go straight to the correct episode page. When you get to the website, you can also add yourself to our email list and then you won't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Keep Optimizing podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, then you can check out our other storytelling episodes at keepopt.com forward slash story 
or go deep into customer experience at keepopt.com forward slash CX. Please do tell your fellow marketers about the show because I want to help as many marketers as possible to improve the performance of their e-commerce marketing. Have a great week and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you too to keep optimizing your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimizing at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S, not a Z. Don't forget to book your free 30-minute storytelling and strategy consultation. Quote Keep to get your session with Revenue Growth Agency's founder, Andy Donaldson, for free. Book via keepopt.com forward slash Revenue Growth Agency now.